Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Man, I'm glad you're here if it's your first time here. I'm sorry for the disappointment you must be feeling that we have to stop this uh, worship set, but there's a, a word from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God that I want to preach to you today to kind of close off our Love Potion series. This is going to be the most powerful, I think, of all the messages in the series, although the men with last week's uh, sex message would be like, thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. It's okay. Um, if you haven't heard that, I would go back and listen to that and maybe listen to it a few times. There was some depth of the Holy Spirit there for you. Today is going to be the most uh, raw of uh, all of the sermons because I'm going to be sh sharing a little bit about our mistakes in marriage. And Where's Pastor Aaron? I, th I feel like she's in here. Where are you? Right? Okay, I can't see you, so that's probably good. If you're glaring at me about something, we're going to share just real honest, uh, real honest like about the mistakes we made and maybe some of the sins that we made in marriage. And, and um, that'll be depressing. It'll probably make you feel a little better about your messed up life. So <laughs> once again, you're welcome. Uh, we have a baptism coming up in a couple of weeks. And I can't, uh, when somebody goes public with their faith, uh, sometimes for the first time, but sometimes for, you know, you, you grew up in church or you, you once belonged to God, but then you kind of decided to go and serve another master for a while and you come back to the living God. And, and uh, we love to celebrate that in the house of God. Sometimes the prodigals come home and we've been waiting at the house, like, just come on back. Like, this, we made this church for you. Like, come on back. We'll help you. It's not too late to get on that list, by the way. Uh, sometimes you're like, I'm not, I'm not ready. Well, back in the day, you know, they would like, hi, you just gave your life to Christ. Let's get baptized today. Yeah. You don't need your swim trunks. We'll baptize you in your clothes if that's what you want. Um, there's this uh, issue of baptism that has to do more with obedience than whether you're ready or not. Because you weren't ready to get saved either. Sorry to break it to you. Um, it's like when, when my wife says to Neela, Neela's the garbage girl in the house. She has to take the garbage. She gets to take the garbage out. And, and uh, you know, if mom would ask her, like, Neela, take the garbage out. And Neela would be like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready. <laughs> take out the garbage. Sometimes God is like, oh, baby, you're ready. <laughs> you're ready. When you obey God and go public with your faith, and whether you understand everything about it or not, and we have places you can ask those questions to, just check into the box office. We'd love to have a conversation with you, but... Um, it's better to obey before you're ready and before you understand it. The whole point of obedience is that God can release his life to you whether you understand it or not. You think you can understand the God of the universe and how he works? I don't know. I just want him to work. I would settle for that. And so um, next week I'm starting a series called Adulting. As in how uh, adults ought to spend money. Spend it, save it, give it. And how when you get those things right, first of all, we're talking about marriage. Like, So if you could take the financial pressure out of your marriage, which God does not want in there. God does not want you to struggle financially. He does not want his kids begging for bread. But you have to do it God's way. And when you do it God's way, it just opens the door. And everybody who's good with money wants to become great with money. And I'm like, anybody who's already awesome with money loves these types of series. And if you're broke, well, come on back next week. Ecclesiastes 4 says, uh, two people are better off than one. Now, I don't know if you're married, if you're in between, if you have been, if you want to be, if you're a youth, uh, welcome to this sermon. And you, look, you amen for the youth that's sitting beside you that thinks that they already know, because they don't know. 
And if you're older and married, and I'm going to hurt your feelings today, and I don't have time to worry about that too much, I'm going to preach this one like I stole it. I said I'm going to preach this one like I stole it. So, uh, yeah, get ready. Get your seatbelt on. Let's go. I don't have time to convince you that you're wrong and pat your hand and make you feel good about yourself. Let's get to your marriage and let's get to it to feeling good about itself. <laughs> and your, your spouse is desperate that you do this. And so let's, let's, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. So that's why I got married was so that we could help each other succeed. But then it goes on. Often the scripture goes on from where you would leave it. Um, if one person falls, well, what do you mean falls? Yeah, well, that's part of life and part of who you are as a flawed individual, part of marriage. One person falls, the other can reach out and help. You don't mind being, re- you don't mind being reached out to, but sometimes you don't like being the one who reaches out. But that's part of it. It says, uh, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Aaron? But how can I be warm alone? It's cold in there. I just. What it's saying here is uh, no matter what stage of life you're in, you shouldn't walk through life alone. Because what happens is you'll start to isolate yourself. And when you isolate yourself, your heart gets cold. And so the Bible says in another place, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. <laughs> and so uh, walking with people, it would be easier for me to have a church without people. Like way easier. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not even going to qualify that. Then it says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, which means the devil can get to you and he's stronger than you are. He's smarter than you are. He's got your number. But two can stand back to back and conquer in marriage. That was the purpose of marriage. We just got to take the knives out of each other's back first. We got to protect each other's weaknesses, which means you got to quit protecting, you ready? Your own weakness because you can't even see it most of the time. You got to let your spouse do that and your spouse has got to do that. Come on. You stand back to back. It's like, I got it. I got it, Aaron. I know your weakness. I got this one. This one's on me. Same way, on the other side, um, three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Some idiot out there is like, I should get another wife. No, shut up. (laughs) If you're new to church, like, welcome. This is the sort of thing that I do. Um, You can't handle the wife you got, brother. Two ain't going to help you. Just say amen and just act like I'm not talking to you right now. Just be like, I don't know what he's talking about, honey. I never thought about that. Okay, good. Listen, when you get married, you're in for a whole lot of shocks because it will reveal all the selfishness that you actually got married with. So part of you wanted to get married to help the other person succeed, but the other part of them, uh, the bigger part of you wants uh, them to help you succeed. So when you do it, there's just a lot of shocks. It's like two people from different backgrounds, you know, slamming together. And then you're trying to figure out how to do this. And so you do some really stupid things. Anybody done some stupid stuff in your marriage? Um, Here's one stupid thing that I did. I had a really nice blue Godin guitar that was worth about 1,500 bucks. And and I liked it, but on my bucket list was buying a Paul Reed Smith guitar, which was $2,500, which is the world's nicest guitar, including every guitar on stage here right now. (laughs) Including... Guitar over right there. <laughs> Owned by other people on stage who kicked me off a of stage. <laughs> so good. It's actually a nicer guitar than mine, but don't tell them. Um, but I had this thing. I'm like, Aaron, I, so I, I, I packed my Godin guitar up, but this is what I said. I'm going to go look at guitars today. And then I did what Cope men do when they say, I'm going to go look at something. I came back with a different guitar. 
And she's like, I thought you said you were just going to look at guitars. I'm like, I did. <laughs> and then I conquered. And I did it. I brought back this other guitar. She's like, I don't like the color. It's <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful guitar. What do you really like? She's like, well, at least you can keep the other one because I like the color of that. Like daggers in my soul, Aaron. Why would you do that to me? I just spent a thousand extra dollars of money that we didn't talk about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really wish I could have Pastor Aaron on stage here. Um, she has a humility that I think that you need because I'm going to be talking about not just my mistakes but her mistakes as well and, and some of our sin in marriage. And, um, and this is kind of a gift that our family, that God is asking us to give you. And I pray that you would receive that gift. Um, yeah. Please don't sympathize with the same sins that you might struggle with just because uh, one of us reminds us of one of you. Don't do that because it's not honoring when you honor sin. Um, we have to sell ourselves. You know, we have to sell the sin out and separate ourselves from the things that we've done that do not please God. And, and, and I would have Erin on stage, but she'd probably spend all morning crying because it's going to... She, she just said, yeah, she would. And then all you'd be like, you horrible monster, what did you do? I didn't do anything. She just cries. It's therapeutic or something. Um, Look, it's emotional enough for me to get through this without, you know, being a mess, but uh, I love my wife. She's soft. It's one of the reasons I married her. I saw her, and I'm like, there's somebody I can protect. That all was great until she didn't want me to protect her. <laughs> and, um, and I'll <laughs> tell you a little bit about that. Erin watches it. We'll, go, we'll, we'll fly someplace nice and sunny, and on the way to, you know, Mexico or someplace, she'll be watching a movie where, where like, everybody gets sick with some weird disease and dies, and she'll cry through the whole plane ride. Like, even the family dog dies, the cat dies, the bird dies, everybody dies, and she just like, <laughs> and all the guys are just looking at me in the airplane, like, what, you monster? You're watching a movie about guys getting shot, you monster, when you put your arm around her and love her, and I'm just like, can we not do this on airplane? She's like, I like it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How much grace is in your marriage if you're married? How much grace do you think you'll enter marriage with? Because you think that you'll enter it with more than you actually end up with. Grace in marriage is like oil in the machine because there are gears that are constantly grinding against each other. So let me ask you this. If your marriage was like our marriage for the better part of 20 years, those gears were already always smoking and almost on fire because there was no oil in the marriage at the right times and in the right places. We didn't know how to do that. And... Um, because our, our relationship, as much as we didn't intend for it to get this way, became this word I call transactional. Transactional, which means, okay, Aaron, there's your life and your love tank or whatever we call it. And Corey, here's your respect tank and whatever we call it. And your energy and how well you slept last night. And Okay, so it becomes transactional, which means, okay, so uh, yesterday Aaron was a bit crazy and I had to forgive her. Can I just get real? Can I just pr I'm going to preach it like it's stolen, so does Say amen and we'll move on. Um, and I'll be like, you were a little crazy yesterday and I forgive you. So now it's your turn. And then she'd be like, yeah, well, you did that thing yesterday and I forgive you. And now it's, it's my turn to get something from you, right? Or like, you bought that car last year, sweetheart, and uh, now it's my turn to buy the truck that I want this year because, well, you got what you wanted. Whether, neither, whether your marriage could afford it or not has nothing to do with it. It's just this transactional thing. And you start working out of what it is that you think that you have in your tank. It's like, here, I'll give to you, and you but see, there's only two of you in the marriage, and this is where we get it wrong, where it's like, 
And sooner or later you start realizing, I don't have enough in my tank for this. And the other person starts realizing, I don't have enough in my tank for this. And then you look at the other person's tank and the other person's not fulfilling your dreams and you start getting real transactional. And that's when your marriage starts losing its spark and you shrink into a survival mentality where I have to at least survive in my marriage. As soon as you reach a survival mentality, your marriage starts to fizzle and it starts to die. Listen, a good marriage is not something you survive. Get that out of your heart and out of your head. It's not something you're supposed to survive. Marriage God's way is not something you're supposed to survive. You have to get that thing out of there because it will kill the spirit of your marriage. The Bible says you have to lose your life to find it. Not find your life to find it. Lose your life to find it. There is something inherent in marriage that we are missing in the power and the grace of God that he intended the whole time. See, marriage is a skill. It's a set of skills that you have or you don't. And I can tell you, if I'm talking to you in pre-marriage counseling, I can tell you if you, you, if you have the skills to make it or not. And I'm not a trained professional, but I have enough life behind me to be like, that's not going to work. Either this person or this person, but most of the time it's both of y'all don't have the right skill that it takes to make it a marriage. But you're looking for magic. Magic can distract you in the beginning because there's this thing called chemistry and your favorite song and oh baby, we danced to this song and it was so great and I was like, let me throw up in my mouth a little bit. And yeah, I had a favorite song too. It ain't my favorite song anymore. And I was like rage against the machine and all the black stuff in my head comes out. You got any honest married people out there? Come on. Pastor should know who rage against the machine. Oh my goodness. Listen. Here's what I want you to think about your skill set in marriage, because everybody thinks that they're skilled in marriage, but not everybody is. Who did you apprentice to? Your parents. How were they? Because all you got is what they had. The only thing that you learned was how they did it. And what you and I do, we, we, we look at them, and sometimes I had great parents, so don't hate me. Because sometimes if you didn't, you hate people that had great parents. And then you get into this weird little self-pity cycle where you're like, you don't know how I feel, you don't know how I feel. Anybody ever said that to them? You don't know how I feel, you don't know how I feel, you don't know how I feel. And then eventually, because they don't know how you feel because they actually had it better than you did in their childhood and they're healthy, you start getting jealous because they're healthy and you're not and you won't do the work that they had to do to get healthy. And you feel like this is unfair, this is unfair and then you start wishing it on your kids. You don't know how I feel, you don't know how I feel but the only way for anybody to know how you feel is for them to suffer like you did. And if life won't break them, you'll start to. And if God won't break them, you'll start to. Just so they see, just so they know how you feel on the inside. Uh, oh, wow. I just, I just dipped into that right away. Listen, your apprenticeship, your skills. Uh, I grew up in the trades, and so just because you grew up learning how to wire an electrical panel wrong, does not mean that doing, this is what we say, and this is what the devil says to you, you're just going to do the opposite of what your parents did, and that will make you a successful marriage. Wrong. There's 10,000 ways to blow a marriage to hell, and doing the opposite of one of those ways is not going to, it's not the same thing as having a successful marriage. Oh, preach it, pastor. How do you know? Oh, we tried. Just because you, you were trained in how to wire an electrical panel wrong when the wire comes in the top, you don't just take the wire and put it in the bottom and that fixes everything. 
You and I have got to be taught. The only thing that can make you successful in your marriage is to apprentice to successful people. That is it. You've got to learn the three ways that actually work in marriage and do that and get the skills it takes to get marriage right. But that's a beautiful thing because once you start admitting to yourself, I don't know how to actually do this. I know the opposite and the opposite doesn't work either. I just know what I don't want, but I don't have the skills to get there. Then you start realizing I could get the skills to get there. Um, I got so much to, to preach here. Here, let me just start with this whole thing, because I'll laugh about some funny things about Erin and some of the ways that she messed our marriage up. <laughs> hey, I love, you know what, until you get to the place where you're like, you know what, it didn't matter if my spouse was crazy or not, I'd have blown this up myself. There's enough sin in your life to do it. Until you get to that place and sit in front of God and take responsibility for the whole works. All the devil does, you know, all the devil does to you is just shows you a little something wrong in your spouse, and then you forget that God was showing you what was wrong with you, and that's how the whole conversation started. And, uh, and look, can I just be super honest with you? If you're divorced, you have to sit in the middle of that failure sometime and feel it. Because it wasn't all the other person. The other person was not the Antichrist when it started. You married them. Come on. Come on. And all you're going to do, the devil's just going to keep putting out their faults in front of them, but you're never going to get better. And when you enter the next marriage, you're going to enter the same broken person that you entered the last one. Oh, this is so good. All right. My fault, here's my main fault in entering marriage, is that I came from a healthy home. And I thought that everybody thought health, like healthy people thought. But I married a broken girl. It's one of the reasons I married her is because I saw that she uh, was broken and I saw that she needed some protection, and that's really strong instincts inside of me and inside of a lot of guys, I think. And I saw that, uh, and I'm not going to defend the failure of her parents' marriage. I think they would both say that they failed at it, and, and it's not honoring to be like, hey, we never got anything wrong, and it blew up. No, man. you got to learn from the mistakes of the past and, and sell yourself, sell the sin out. Admit the sin, get rid of it, separate yourself from it, and be like, that's not me anymore, though. I don't have to do that anymore. And so, uh, so I saw that. I saw that she didn't have a dad, a good relationship with her dad. And I love her dad, and sometimes he listens to these sermons. And so I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but he would be the first one to tell you, like, he didn't get everything right. And, and I saw that. I saw this massive vacuum in her life, and I'm like, I could protect her, and I could take care of her. And, and, um, but what I didn't do, and my main sin in the marriage was that I didn't... This one was not my fault. I came by it honestly enough. I didn't understand how broken people are. I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand how they think and how they feel. I didn't know that every argument that we ever had, the reason that she couldn't actually deal with the issue, which would drive me crazy, was because she was afraid that if she said the wrong thing or was actually honest about how she felt, that I was just going to get up and leave. It never occurred to me to do that. And sometimes it probably should have. It never did. Because my parents, I mean, my parents didn't have a perfect marriage. My mom was Irish, so... No, I'm just, I'm, yeah, no, I'm sort, of, I'm sort of joking. Look, Dad wasn't exactly in touch with his, with his emotions, and Mom had a hot temper, but you know what? They made it work, and their marriage was the most stable thing around, and I love that about them. And, uh, and don't put me in the penalty box, because I was born into a family that I didn't choose that had a healthy marriage. Like, thank God that at least one of us was a bit healthy before we got married. 
But what I, I made the huge mistake is that I didn't know how Erin felt and I didn't know how she was processing stuff. And so I'm a very direct person. I thought, well, let's just get over this issue so we don't have to fight about it anymore. And Erin heard everything that was coming out of my mouth like, I hate you, I hate you, I'm going to leave you. And I'm like, can we just put the toilet paper roll on the right way? <laughs> like, I hate you, I hate you. What? What are we talking about? Like, there were so many times in our home that I'm just like, and I try, listen. My sin in marriage was that I didn't get the marriage outside of the marriage to fix it. I thought we could do it. I thought I could do it. And it was a lie I swallowed at the beginning. I just did not know any better. And it put us on a tailspin eventually that it was enough to kill the marriage, no matter what kind of crazy she was, and she was a bit crazy. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I, that was my my huge thing, but you know, it doesn't help when a healthy person says to an unhealthy person or a person dealing with a lot of insecurity and fear, like, why are you crazy right now? Any girl love hearing that? Why are you being a crazy psychopath? Like, this is, you don't have to act this way. <laughs> We're like, can you just like stop being crazy? Because then we could go to not being crazy and that would be great. And that's how my mind worked. I'm very basic. <laughs> All you girls are like, don't you hate me? Don't you hate me? Listen. Don't you hate me because I spent 20 years with a broken person. I sweated. I bled. I loved her, and I loved her, and I loved her more. And I sacrificed, and I did everything I could, and I didn't get everything right. Oh, my goodness. But I, I did more for her than you could possibly imagine, I think. But I missed something at the bottom of it. I didn't take my marriage outside of my marriage, and I didn't understand that the brokenness inside of her caused her. Listen, listen. Broken people break people. That's what you know how to do. Broken people end up breaking people. They end up breaking things. And, um, and she hated that I could spring back from an argument sometimes and just be like, hey, I'm sorry, this is my part. And, but she, and I didn't understand that broken people learn all these other skills in, in their past that they bring into arguments. And I didn't know what it was like to fight dirty in an argument. I just didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know what to do. But I made the mistake of not going to somebody who used to be broken who is now better so that I can learn from them and be like, what do I do? Because they would have told me like, hey, don't let her off the hook for some of this stuff. And I did. Or like, you're making a huge deal about this stuff, but you have to understand that this is how she feels. She's just desperately afraid that you're going to leave. And I should have started some arguments with like, I'm not going anywhere, by the way, but can we just talk about the toilet paper? I just didn't know what to say. I just didn't understand where she was coming from in her emotional state. And I didn't ask anybody. I was too proud to. And I should have. You, got, you can't fix your marriage inside of your marriage. You've got to get it outside. Erin, uh, I asked her if she remembered this one time, and I've talked to her about the content of this, and she sat through the first service already. Um, look, we're just being honest. It's not honoring to us if you feel sorry for one of us. We're just telling you what we did that we got wrong. Don't feel sorry for us. We're just glad that we're together and that somehow I got a daughter playing on the worship team and daughter's like. <laughs> and if God can fix us, God can fix you. Oh my goodness, you have no idea. But I said there one time early on, I, I feel like, because see, I grew up in a boy home and um, which my parents were together and I grew up with just brothers in my boy home. It was really, really straightforward. And Erin uh, grew up with her mom and her sister because her dad had left and, and it was a very different kind of a home. And so um, I said to her one time, I felt like it was like one of those candid camera shows. I felt like this was like being filmed for a studio audience's amusement because one of the arguments got blown up into this dramatic production and I don't know what's happening. And I'm like, and I finally said, you don't know how to talk to men, do you? 
Some of y'all don't know how to talk to men, by the way. We're not your sister. You can't talk to us in the same way. But listen, how would she? The only person that trained her was her mom. And her mom, God bless her, didn't know how to talk to men either. In fact, she probably carried a really deep distrust of men in general into our marriage, whether she wanted to or not. Early on in our, and her dad wasn't even there to, to teach her. And when he was there, he wasn't really engaged. He didn't, who was going to, she had no brothers. Who, how would she find out about this? She, she had nobody to teach her. She had apprenticed under people that didn't teach her this skill. How to talk to men. You don't talk to men like you talk to women. It doesn't work. You don't talk to women like you talk to, it doesn't work. Um, one time at Christmas time, we were there with uh, her sister and her, hus- uh, and her husband, whose name is also Corey. <laughs> I just got the greatest kick out of it. Did you guys decide, like, were you reading a story and you came across, like, Corey, that's a good name. We should marry Corey. Do you want to marry Corey? Okay. Let's make a pact. Write it down. Sign it. Good. Let's both marry Corey's. Anyways, and so one time she, she's mad at her sister. We're staying at her mom's house over Christmas, and she's mad at her sister and walks right into her sister's room and has it out in the doorway. And Corey and I, we both came from homes with moms and dads and, and just brothers. And Corey and I are sitting there going, what did we get into? Like, I don't know what's happening. People don't argue like that in boys' homes. You know what boys do? We grunt and then we punch. If you don't hear the grunt, we're punching something. And then dad comes around the corner because we're too dumb to do it when he's not there. And five minutes later, life goes back to the way that it was before, and everybody seems to be happy. No strings attached, man. I can't even remember what happened. Why? Because dad came around the corner. I don't want to remember what happened then. I got in a fight with my best friend, Toby, and I think I was in grade six or something, and it, was, uh, it got pretty uh, hot and heavy for a while, and it got so bad that they had time to go get the principal from inside the building and out into the field where we were to break us up. And uh, this is back in Old Testament times, and we, we're going to get the strap. And on the way in, the word strap was mentioned, and we're like, oh, and we start crying. <laughs> Great six points, it's still okay. We start crying, I'm like, Toby, I'm sorry, Corey, I'm sorry. Okay, best friends, hug. Like, please don't give us a strap. Like, we don't care. Like, yeah, we're all bruised up. We don't care, just don't strap us. Oh, man. The guys are pretty straightforward. I didn't understand emotional warfare. I got four daughters now. I'm starting to get it. It's like psychological. It's a war of attrition, man. Hey, you remember that thing that you did like 400 years ago? Yeah, well, you messed it up. You're the, you're the cause of all this, and I remember every detail, and here it is. Um, <laughs> listen, listen. If you don't have the skills and how to work through an argument, you have to apprentice to somebody who does. Because some of y'all cheat and lie in an argument, and you, you fight dirty, and you don't know how to deal with it. But how would you? Nobody ever taught you how to do it. So you grew up, or your parents were together, but one of your parents was a manipulator, and you picked up on how they did it. And then they start twisting the truth, and they start doing this, and then they start, man. So I've heard guys say, I'm just like, I felt like taping some of our arguments sometimes, because sometimes Erin would come back, and she'd be like, yeah, well, you said this, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? I didn't say that. Yeah, well, you meant it. <laughs> How do I win an argument like that? You just make it crap up as we go along. You meant it. Don't tell me what I meant. I meant what I said, but I didn't say that, so you're not allowed to feel that. And until you talk to somebody who's been healed after they've been broken, they got to be like, no, 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 tape record the argument, man. Everybody got to be in their best behavior because it's going to come back up. And you're going to have to make amends for what you said and what you did. And there's going to be nobody there. I mean, you've got to answer to God for these things too in your marriage. Oh, it's 
preach that. See, what happens is your skills that your parents passed on to you get into your subconscious, and you find yourself in the middle of arguments doing and saying things that you hate yourself for. But it's subconscious. You're in a pattern. You're locked in a pattern. You don't know what to do. Well, accountability in that relationship, that that thing where somebody else is deciding the rules of your arguments and, and calling you to task for it, then you start realizing, ooh, I cheated to win that argument. I lied to win that argument. If you lied, lose the argument. You'd be better for it. If you don't care about the truth anymore, why would you want the other person to put you in charge of the argument? You can't be trusted. Come on. If you get mad and say whatever comes through your head, I heard somebody say one time, like, when I'm mad, I'm just going to say whatever comes through my head. I'm like, yeah, if I did that, I wouldn't be married and wouldn't have a job and wouldn't have kids and wouldn't have friends and I wouldn't have... Man, when you're mad, keep your damn mouth shut because you're going to have to answer for everything that you say. But you have to learn that skill from somebody who's like, so you said what when you were mad? Oh, and they taped, they taped it. Ooh. Put it on, Judge Judy. Let's watch it. See, it becomes transactional. And this is what happens. This is what happens. Look, you marry somebody, and they've got a bank account, and you've got a bank account. When we got married, we actually merged our bank accounts uh, before we got married because we built a house before we got married, which I would not recommend. Oh, my goodness, no. 1,200 decisions, they say, that you make, and my wife is not a decision maker. Oh, Lord, save us. I don't know what we were doing, but we are following godly counsel at the time. It was probably good that we did. But we blended bank accounts, and I got a very concerned phone call from her mother before we even got married saying, hey, uh, and I still remember this, hey, if this doesn't work out, you might be, and this is what she said, paddling the canoe with one paddle. And my brain is like, paddling the what with what? What are we talking about? Well, it didn't work out for her. And I laughed it off, but I didn't know enough to dig down a little bit deeper because whether Erin hated that mindset or not, that was still inside of her, and she didn't know, and I didn't know, and I didn't know enough to ask somebody about it. This is just coming from the Holy Spirit. Some of you said, I do, but you couldn't. That's right. And your spouse said, I do, and they actually meant it, and they're actually living it, but you're not. The only person who can help you do that is the Holy Spirit of the living God and accountability. To actually do what it is that you said that you would do. You said I do, but what you meant was I'll do it as long as I can survive. Well, survive what? With all your baggage and all your weird crap? With what? You going to make all the rules? You going to walk out? What? No. It's not honoring to God. Sooner or later what happens is, sooner or later what happens is, See, Erin starts paying out of an account, but it's a finite account. There's only so much in it because there's only so much in her. And she has a bad night or doesn't sleep for a week, and then what? And then, she's, and then she has to pay into my account, what, love and affection? Anybody been pregnant and anybody had kids? And like, oh yeah, we had a very dry spell in our marriage. <laughs> I'm not even going to. But listen. Or I have to deal with somebody, and we're not getting along very well, and I'm paying... And then, and then the next day, she's like, hey, yeah, it's, my, you know, it's, it's, it's your turn now. And then I, and, but what happens when it's like a month of the same person feeling like they're paying into the same thing and the same issues? And, the, and what happens when the other person is feeling the same way? You start depleting your account, and then you get to this place where you realize, I can't do this anymore. And the other person gets there and says, I can't do this anymore. Then what? God has a way and has designed marriage in a certain way to avoid that sort of thing. And I'm going to show you how he does that. Look, the devil's going to try to trick you in two ways. This is all free to this service, by the way. Um, I didn't get it to in the last word. Listen, the devil wants you to either worship yourself in marriage. 
But he'll, he'll settle if you worship your spouse. Worship me, family. Make peace offerings to me when I'm in a bad mood. Or you make peace offerings to your spouse. Careful when mom's in that kind of a mood. Careful when mom's in that kind of a mood. Mom needs to grow up. Careful? What do you mean careful? Then everybody's got to walk around and you're God incarnate? No, we sacrifice to the one true and living God who never is in a bad mood. Right? Who's never selfish and never has a bad day. That's for free. Let me say this. Let me say this. Is God just the official observer in your marriage? Or does he have the role that you have to give him? You have to volunteer for this. Here's what God intended in your marriage. Corey's account, Aaron's account, Jesus. There is a third party that is not supposed to be an observer who gets to like give advice. Good advice you won't follow when you're mad. Good advice you won't follow when you're hurt. And listen, people cover, say the word hurt that covers a lot of sin too. Sometimes it's not hurt. Sometimes you hurt yourself. It was a murder-suicide. <laughs> and so this is what Jesus intended. He's like, create this third account called marriage, and I'm going to sit in the middle of this. Listen. It says in the scriptures, the two shall become one. How does that happen? I pour the red juice in, and I pour the blue juice in, and I get whatever color of juice that makes. You can't unwind that. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. You need an account in the middle called marriage. And you pay from your account into this account, and I'm the broker. I decide the rules. I decide what kind of interest. I decide who withdraws. And then he says to Corey, hey, forgive Aaron. And I'm like, but she doesn't deserve it. Look at her over there. She doesn't, she not, she's not even sorry. And God's like, forgive her anyways. Well, she's going to do the same thing again. And God's like, who do you think I'm talking to right now? Because you're going to do the same thing again too. And I still forgave you. And the salvation of your soul... The forgiveness that it took to save your soul is so, you can't even imagine to a holy God the sin that we committed. You can't even imagine that this to him must seem extremely petty when you won't forgive because he tells you to forgive. But you do it in this mindset like, I can't pay that much. And God's like, but I can, and I'll lend it to you. And I can, and I'll lend it to you. Well, I'm not going to do it till I feel it. And God's like, oh my goodness, are we in grade five still? Do it, especially when you don't feel like it. And I'll give it to you. And I can't give it to you until you pour it out. You pour it out, I'll start pouring it at the same minute. Boom. And it works. And it works. It's the grace in marriage. It's the power in marriage that my parents gave to me and you can give to your kids. No matter what kind of brokenness you came from. You can decide this is not going to be the same brokenness anymore. Jesus, there's two types of brokenness. The type of brokenness that you need to have as a Christ follower to pay the price for sin for other people and then there's the brokenness where you're just unhealthy and messed up this does not honor God and he came to save you from it so quit telling everybody this is just the way I am it doesn't have to be the way you are you can quit complaining that you're broken and spend more time with the doctor if you like or you can spend all the energy of being broken by complaining that you're being broken and why your husband and your wife doesn't understand you and or you can spend more time with the doctor and actually get fixed so you're not a broken person anymore, so you're not messed up, so you're not all these triggers all the time, everybody walking around on eggshells. For the two to become one, there is a wanting factor, something greater than either and greater than both. Marriage must create a third account that you don't control, and when you don't control it, heaven's blessing falls. 
And then you find the magic in marriage that God intended because you're actually pulling out of heaven's bank account. I'm going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians 13, and you're going to find that there's a different kind of love there. Like, you might touch on this a little bit, but out of your accounts, you just touch on it. You don't even understand how this works. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in your marriage that you don't understand and never will. But you have to give up control to find it, and all of a sudden, you'll find yourself forgiving some horrible atrocity that you never thought that you could. Look, and I'm all about protecting innocent people. Believe me, you do not want to be on the other side of that table, and I've been there, and I've gone to bat. We have to understand that forgiveness, man, you've got to be able to forgive and forgive. Forgive, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. And it poisons your soul, man. You have got to be able to forgive anything. Jesus hung on a cross and forgave you. Your sin put him there. My sin put him there. I don't deserve forgiveness. He's just like, forgive, forgive. And he starts pouring out of heaven's account unlimited supply, unlimited resource. You can go, you can go 60 days without sleep, and I've been there. You can go and still forgive. You can go and still get up in the morning. You can go because you're working out of heaven's bank account and the beauty and the grace of heaven. And what it does is it takes every bit of pride out of our lives. Every bit of entitlement. You owe me, you owe me. And we just sit in the middle and we're just like, oh, Jesus, how can you love an ungodly sinner like me? I'm surprised that anybody lives with me. How do you? And Jesus is like, because I told them to. How can that person even forgive anything that I've done? Because I told them to. Oh, God, you're good. When God asks something from you, you're just like, oh, God, I remember my sins. I remember my sins. Thank you, God. And you start paying into a marriage account. Young people, you can pay into a marriage account before you get married. If you're single, pay into it now. Stay pure. Keep your heart pure. Don't get tied up in other things. Keep your heart pure. Get it right. Get over some of your character flaws so you don't force the other person to live with them. Anyways, Can you see the possibilities, though? With this, when there's the grace of God on your marriage, this is what happens, this is what happens. The sins and the fights, actually afterwards, there's the possibility that you come closer together. How does that work? I don't know. You can be more connected after, and I don't know how it works. And I'll never know how it works, I just want it. I just want it by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 13, come, come on up team. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is talking to the same Corinthians who wrote him that awkward letter about sex that I preached about last week. Um, He writes this this message in here. He's like, guys, there's another kind of love available here that you don't know yet. You've touched on it. You've seen it in bits and pieces, but you don't know what's available to you. Specifically in marriage, I'm going to preach this. It says, love never gives up. Anybody feel like giving up last week? You know why you had such a terrible week in your marriage? Because I was preaching this sermon for you today. This one's on our family. You're welcome. You're welcome. Because we had an awful week too. You're welcome. You're welcome. But love doesn't give up. The God kind of love, it never gives up. It just keeps going. Love cares more for others than self. Oh God, we need that. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't compare your spouse to somebody else's spouse. It doesn't want what it's not getting from here. It's like, hey God, you would be enough. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. This is not a human life support issue. If I don't get gravy with my french fries, if he leaves his socks on the floor one more time, it's not abuse. God, there's got to be grace. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled bobblehead. It doesn't force itself on others. is isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handles. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't keep track. In fact, love loves forgiven. How? I don't know. It just does. 
doesn't revel when others grovel when they actually have to come back and be like, I'm so sorry that I cheated in that argument. Love doesn't love that either. Because I remember what, what, what it's like to lose an argument and be like, it's okay, it's okay. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Dig down until you find the truth. And don't stop digging until you do. Don't get distracted with the drama class, everybody. Love puts up with anything. Trust God always. Puts up with anything? You want to get mad at God or you want the power that God has? Because love could. Love always looks for the best. It never looks back. Never looks back. Don't you want that? You've been looking back too long. It keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Listen, Pastor Aaron, can you come up here? Can, come on, give her a hand. All right. Um, are you going to just jump straight up on stage again? All right, come on up. If I drop her now, like, it's over. Um, I want to bless her for her humility. Um, but look, we've had to learn how to just be humble and honest about our faults and our sins. And, and, um, and I want to bless her for this. But look, we have some marriage magic now. We have some success in this thing now. And I want to say to every person here that love never looks back. You've got to quit looking back at the bad things. And you've got to look back to find the lion and the bear before the Goliath. Now look it up. Look it up. Because the marriage struggle that you're in right now seems insurmountable because Goliath is too big for you in your individual accounts. But we had to actually go back and be like, the salvation of my soul was like the bear, and it was much bigger than Goliath was at the time. What God has done in your life already is more than what God needs to do in the future. You just can't see it. And if, look, if God can save this marriage, God can save that marriage. God is the God of the impossible, and sometimes he just takes on weird little pet projects like your messed up life because he can <laughs> Can I hear an amen? Hey, we're going to leave you with this series, Love Potion, and we're going to sing a song called Hindsight. I want the mood up. I want the faith of God and the faith in the impossible God up, and I want you to release all your stress and how you're going to fix your marriage when you get out of here. Don't let God do it, please, and let a mediator get in there and help y'all, but we're going to leave in a spirit of faith. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.